Welcome to episode two of You Shall Not Pass Go. We are your hosts, Dave. And Jengis. And we are hosted on GeekAid.com. What's your geek? So, episode two. That's right. We had some minor technical difficulties, but you don't need to know about that. Um, but we should just, we have a lot to cover today, so maybe we'll just get right into it. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> we'll start today with Magic the Gathering. Uh, I mean, first off, tons of new releases. Yeah, it's like Wizards just decided, like, uh, in the span of two months, we're going to announce at least, like, four or five products down the line. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, uh, we found out more about Shadows over Innistrad. A couple spoilers leaked, which we can kind of analyze in a moment. But in addition to Shadows over Innistrad, there was, I mean, so much that kind of dropped all at once. You yeah. had... Eternal Masters. Eternal Masters. Which is crazy because, you know, everybody <laughs> is thinking about what's going to be reprinted, what's not going to be reprinted. And mm-hmm. There's the whole question of, like, should the reserve list no longer be the reserve list? Yeah, um, well, I mean, they, you know, you want to present, I mean, the original idea of the reserve list was so that, you know, re- uh, retailers could have, they could have value for the cards. They don't have to worry about, like, prices plummeting. Because a card gets reprinted, and that's why the reserve list exists. Right. Uh, uh, for those of you that don't know about Eternal Masters yet, uh, it's a set coming out that is going to be reprinting some of the more powerful cards of the Legacy format. The idea is that they want to make Legacy uh, more accessible to a broader player base. Because right now, getting into Legacy is a fairly expensive process. I mean, the Dual Lands alone, which, I mean, Dual Lands are all on the reserve list, so they're probably not going to be reprinted. I mean, they just won't be. <laughs> we don't know at this point. I know, right? But um, you think of things like Force of Will was the big name card that they dropped immediately. And Force of Wills go for about $100 a pop. Yeah. And if you're running four in a standard deck because it's such a good card, you're looking, that's $400 for four cards in your in your 160-card deck, not including sideboard. Exactly. So... The idea was to make Legacy more accessible. They had so much success with Modern Masters, making Modern more accessible to people who wanted some of the older, more powerful cards that were out of print, that they're trying to kind of go along the same track with Eternal Masters. Now, um, kind of piggybacking off of that, you know, we were saying that the Dual Lands are the most expensive. This reserve list that I'm talking about, it's some of the most powerful cards in Magic. That it, Wizards straight out said we're just not going to ever reprint these cards. We're yeah. talking the Power Nine, like Black Lotus. Yeah, it was it would just like diminish the market. Uh, the re, uh, what's the word for it? The there's a there's a, there's a proper word for like after market. The aftermarket. Yeah, that's the word for it. It's after the market. <laughs> and of course, you know it's it's a big deal because you got to think collectors. They're really you know. They're people who live. They're like stocks. Exactly. They're people who like live and die by like selling and buying Magic the Gathering cards. Right. And I mean, if you look at Beanie Babies when those were a craze, I mean, that's that's. I'm only bringing them up because there were people who sank retirement funds exactly into Beanie Babies, and they were like, "Oh my God, the Princess Bear is gonna get me uh, because I'm gonna buy me my Porsche." Because they felt like it would retain value and increase in value over time. Right. And there are some Magic collectors that feel the same way about like very like you know if you have a mint alpha black lotus and like you really want to send your kids to college oh you're on easy street no <laughs> yeah. you are on easy street mint alpha black lotus i mean it's easy i'd assume at least a mill uh, at this point no oh I yeah i don't know about that well i mean just the several thousand dollars for sure oh hundreds of thousands of yeah. dollars i'm positive mm-hmm. but i i mean 
the inflation of prices of Magic cards over the course of what has been the last 10 years is ridiculous. I mean, even in the last two or three years, I look at going back to talking about dual lands. um, And the reason I bring dual lands up so much when we're talking about reserve lists and whatnot is because dual lands are by far, I would think, the most expensive part of... And, most legacy and decks. And the most sought after of most legacy decks. It's right. Just because it, it's such a great, so, such, such great cards. Because and nothing de- has really rivaled it in uh, power. Right, because depending on what you're playing, it's going to depend on the other cards that you want in the deck. But mostly everybody is running more than one color. They want to search for it. They want it to come out untapped, ready to go, no side effects. That's what the dual lands are doing for them. And even in the last... I'd say two years or so, I remember you could get a dual land that included blue and a color in it, because mm-hmm. obviously blue is like the powerhouse of legacy. Yeah, mostly. Um, any insert insert random blue dual land, you were looking at like $90, $100. Now in certain circles, I mean, you're talking two, $300 for one. Which is ridiculous. Also, it goes with the popularity of the game and just, you know, how many people are playing it now and internationally as well. Right. So it's just interesting to think about this this new form of a set coming out, Eternal Masters. Yes. And to really kind of walk on that line of should we or shouldn't we tap into the reserve list um i had a conversation about this actually recently and uh-huh. my thoughts not with me no no it's that uh big edh game had brought it up and a couple people had talked about it and i had i had mentioned that i feel that the reserve list shouldn't be touched because i think collectors need to retain the value of the cards but i do feel that if dual lands are the one thing they're sort of teetering on i would restrict them in legacy format mm. Make it so you, they can only play one of each, just like you have with I, I the feel Power like, Nine and I everything else. I feel like else. with that, though, you you might I don't know. It's 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 a big jump to say, but I don't. I want to feel like that might destroy the legacy format. I don't. Know it. I don't think it would. I think people would then just gravitate towards the Shocklands. And the thing is, is that would make it more like. Would you have an edge if you had one dual land in your deck of e, of a couple different colors? So you had a couple dual lands. Yeah, of course you'd still have an edge. But you, your deck wouldn't be unattainable in terms of competition if you had to run Shocklands. And if Shocklands were more of the standard thing in a Legacy deck, that's where to say standard and Legacy in the same I guess so. Um, I just feel like Wizards isn't ready to shock. Like, they're already mixing things. They're already shaking the community as it stands. Right. I don't think they're going to, like, you know... They're 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 making waves. I don't think they want to make tsunamis in the community. Right. So um, maybe down the line, but I don't think that's going to happen. You know, this year. Yeah. <laughs> well, it'll be interesting to see what's in Eternal Masters. Uh, some other things that were spoiled. Uh, the from the vault lore is that's, coming out. That's correct. Uh, not too much is known about it right now, but essentially nothing. Supposedly has to do with powerful cards that revolve around staples of magic lore. Yeah. Throughout, I guess, the years. Ooh, maybe we'll see some uh, Sisse and the Weatherlight. There we go. <laughs> took you a second. Yeah, it took me a second. Um, but maybe some of that, because that was a big part of their lore. When they're doing like a really big lore push, like the whole Weatherlight saga was like big. So maybe we'll see something along those lines. Maybe Karn. Maybe Karn might come in, because he's a, he's a pretty powerful card. 
It but could, would it be Karn the Silver Golem, or would it be Karn Planeswalker of Awesomeness? That's a great question. Yeah. <laughs> um, and in addition to that, of course, Shadows over Innistrad. Spoilers have started online. Mm-hmm. They've um, announced what the second, the name of the second set is going to be. Eldritch Moon. That's correct. Which is a very cool, very, very cool thing to say. Mm-hmm. Um, looking at the spoilers as of the time of our cast here, um, we're casting this, we're recording this beginning of March, um, and... Right now, one card is sticking out to me. They released a card called Brain in a Jar. Now, Brain in a Jar, it's sort of like Aether Vial, but for instants and sorceries. Uh, It's tap one mana, tap it. You put a charge counter on the Brain in the Jar. Then you can cast an instant or sorcery card with converted mana cost equal to the number of charge counters on the Brain in the Jar from your hand without paying uh, its mana cost. You can also tap three and tap Brain in a Jar to remove X charge counters from Brain in a Jar to scry X. So, interesting that unlike Aether Vial, you don't have the option. It's no May option. If you're adding a counter to it, you immediately add the counter and then you must follow it up with the instant or sorcery if you want to take advantage of that effect. Right. Um, so, at first you're like, well... Once I do it once or twice, what happens when it gets too many counters? What do I do? The great thing is, is that scry is a nice counter dump. You can then remove counters and kind of adjust it to what you need based on what's in your hand. And then the meantime, uh, meanwhile, you're fixing yeah. what's on top of your deck and exactly. kind of fixing your draws. Very good for a, a blue type deck or uh, anything that relies on combos. I mean, most decks really, but uh, I guess really not an aggro. Yeah. You wouldn't probably put that in an aggro deck. Speaking of aggro... They released a planeswalker that we don't know yes. what it's going to do yet, but we know that she exists. Um, and it looks, if I had to guess, I would say she is going to be red and green only because they have her build as a werewolf. And werewolves have been red and green in the last Innistrad block. I mean, Innistrad had the different tribes, that there was did. the black, white spirits yes the red black vampires the blue blue Blue, green no it was green white humans blue red blue red monstrosities or no there was something else regardless of that fact uh the green red werewolves and that's why i feel that she'll probably be a green red planeswalker but i have to say if that's the case there's a lot of them. There are so many green, red planeswalkers. Now I disagree because I reading the lore behind her. Mm-hmm. She she resisted the change to a werewolf. She actually tried to learn uh, in the holy arts to try to counteract the change. So I feel like she'll have some white mixed in. Whether it's green, white, or red, white, I feel like that's my money's on those two. Yeah, and uh, but I like it because she's. She's pretty different compared to a lot of the other planeswalkers we've seen. She's like a mature woman war- werewolf. You don't really see everyone's like young and muscular and like <laughs> <laughs> the hipster wolves. <laughs> you know, but this is like but it lends to Innistrad and the lore of Innistrad and like uh You know, I I I am interested to see where they're going to take it. I'm just I I would be I would be blown away flabbergasted if it was a boros planeswalker mm-hmm. it would be it'd be like the second it'd be the second they had a johnny vengeant <laughs> who was okay he was okay 
was a Not, nice. He wasn't. He wasn't the best, but he was okay. But Boros people pretty uh, pretty much appreciate it. Uh, nah. He's kind of slow for Boros, I, I think. I guess that's true. And I mean, like you, you it's his abilities were bad. I of, just feel like a new Boros planeswalk or something that could like hit fast and hard, Gideon style. You know, maybe becomes yeah. a creature at some point. Oh, she or, has to become a creature. I have few figures. <laughs> um, or it might be interesting if she does a reversal. Of the origins, planeswalkers is another thing I was she, thinking. She's a planeswalker to start and becomes a it creature. becomes a werewolf creature. Like oh, her ultimate, that'd be weird. <laughs> like her ultimate is flips to and then insert ridiculous creature here. No, I feel like she'll be a planeswalker on both sides, which is still pretty powerful to have a whole nother planeswalker on the other. You side. think she's going to be? I mean, the reason we're bringing this up is they have confirmed that she is a flip card. It's just a matter of what her two sides are. Is she Planeswalker, Planeswalker? Or is she Planeswalker creature? Is she human werewolf? A lot is she of, human human? There's a lot of, like, on, on Reddit and other message boards, people want her to be a legendary because they want to make her a commander. But, I mean, that's to be expected after the last commander set. And people just want that. But I don't think Wizards is going to oblige. I think they're just going to keep it standard. Right. Um, even if they, even if a lot of people want it. Um Another interesting tidbit is there was a leak, an unconfirmed leak of the, you know, you remember how in last Innistrad they had a checklist card of all the flips, mm-hmm. so you could have that as a placeholder if you need it? Right. Uh, they had a sim- they saw the, a similar one had leak, uh, leaked for Shadows, but no one's confirmed it yet. Um, there are some, uh, I think a card has shown up, but she does not show up on that, uh, that checklist card. Huh. But maybe it might just because she's too complicated to have a checklist, like she had because of her pluses. Right. Um, maybe I can't tell, but maybe she's not going to be in shadows. Maybe she's going to be in Eldritch Moon. That'd be interesting. And kind of rounding off the sets that were, have been announced and released, conspiracy. Conspiracy. There's a whole. There was that ridiculous wizards, Ooh. like, hey, we're gonna release conspiracy with Brago. Oh wait. Brago's dead. We're knocking off a card. Who's going to take the crown? Oh, wait. This person has the crown. Yeah. And it was just like... I mean, they had fun. It was fun for the community. It, Everyone's like, ah, what it, are you doing? It was just, it was just cheese bowl. <laughs> but I, I feel like as we're kind of chit-chatting here about leaks and spoilers, uh, probably the biggest news that was sort it, of mind-blowing to me almost. was <laughs> the idea of this scandal going on in the magic world. For those of you that have Scandals. not heard, yeah, it's, oh, it's <laughs> it's super dirty if it's true. Um, so on Reddit, the story is on Reddit. There was a a, a user that before it was one of the Grand Prix. Do you remember what Grand Prix it was? Oakland. It was Grand Prix Oakland. Yeah, about two three weeks before Grand Prix Oakland, or during after, during Oakland during Oakland had started. Yeah. Yes, this gotta, is where all the talk came from. Right, he was during the Grand Prix in Oakland. That's right, and he said. <laughs> That supposedly he heard two people talking, not players, players but, retailers. but retailers, speaking about certain things. And he posted, it was like two, three weeks before anything was confirmed. He said that Summer Bloom and Splinter Twin were going to be banned. Now, for a while, people knew that... Summer Bloom is going to be banned because, or at least something in the Bloom deck was going to be banned, just because of how well it had been doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but Splinter Twin, nobody saw Splinter Twin coming, 
And everybody kind of wrote this guy off on Reddit, said, you know, you don't know what you're talking about, buddy, or isn't it great when people make dumb predictions? (laughs) And (laughs) Laughing him off. And this guy mentioned, you know, he was like, you'll see, I'm right. And then a day later or so, he also leaked the information about how he also heard these people talking about... Um, something called Eternal Masters, mm-hmm. and that Force of Will was going to get reprinted, and Wasteland, and then a whole bunch of other cards that have yet to be confirmed. Fast forward to two weeks later or yeah, so, so, all yeah. of a sudden, Summer Bloom and, Twin- and Splinter Twin get the ban, yep. and people on Reddit freak the fuck out. That's right. Like, everybody flipped and they're going back to this comment. This dude, this dude's comment gets like upped and reposted like mm-hmm. hundreds of times. And then, you know, they're talking about Eternal Masters and they're like, well, if this is true, we might have an issue. And sure enough, Eternal Masters gets announced. Force of Will is the prime card that they announced in the set. And then it comes down to this. This is the scandal we're talking about. The idea that what if there is a leak, whether through Wizards itself mm-hmm. or a, somebody at Wizards doing something underhanded, like insider trading style, if this if talking about because, before, because yeah. like we said, cards are similar to stocks. Exactly. Someone giving information to either all or certain perspective retailers about upcoming sets, allowing them to play the market ahead of time to their advantage, to their financial advantage. And that would rock the you know the whole concept of buying and selling cards because you would always feel like you you have to have when it comes to that. Everyone has to be on even playing field. Right. Because otherwise the market is flawed and th- there's no comp- competition. Exactly. someone will always be on top. And just to give, you know, the, our, our audience a perspective of how this would work, it would be like, I'm a retailer and Jangus comes up to me. Jangus works at Wizards and he says uh, about Splinter you know, Twin. He I would says, say, do your best to sell as much, you know, as many Splinter Twins as you can because something's going to happen. Right. And then I would say, oh, okay. Next thing I do is I decide that Splinter Twin, which is at the time that I get the information, a super popular card in Modern. And let's just say, I don't know what the exact market prices was at the time, but just for our purpose of example, let's say Splinter Twin was going for 20 a pop. Mm-hmm. So I all of a sudden say, well, I better liquidate while I can. I drop my prices of Splinter Twin down to like 14 bucks or even 12 bucks. I go to a convention or I list my prices online. Everybody, I put Splinter Twin sale. All of a sudden, everybody's like, oh my God, get them. This, you know, this crazy guy, this retailer has decided to sell their Splinter Twins. And all of a sudden, I just kind of sell them all at that price. Then two weeks later, hey, Splinter Twin is banned. It's value because the card itself, not really something like, fantastic in any other format it really was just in modern that was really breaking it Mm -hmm. um all of a sudden splinter twins price just plummets plummets it goes (laughs) from being potentially say 20 a pop to like 50 cents a card which is actually what pretty much happened is it exactly not exactly but like 30 bucks to 20 to 30 dollars all the way down to like a a dollar and ch- like still for like five bucks in certain places, but right. still that's that's a lot. Exactly. So meanwhile, that's a crash. I get away. That's a, that's I, <laughs> I get away with profit on the what I had. I liquidated what I needed. Meanwhile, everybody else is stuck with them. So now apply that concept to 
multiple instances of every card. Or even more valuable cards, right. like Force of Will. Right. Well, with Force of Will, it's kind of like the exact opposite, so to speak. Or, you know, it depends. I don't, I'm not sure how Eternal Masters would affect the Force of Will market, either positively or negatively. But either way, if you have information that the card market is going to change beforehand, you could capitalize. Now, I do know that whether or not it's all retailers or some retailers... Um, the one of the big time head honchos of Star City Games had put out a statement that said, you know, not all retailers have this information. If this leak is true, if everything that we're seeing here is true, we want to get to the bottom of this just as you because we are motherfucking Star City Games yeah, and we don't have this info. They so. make money off this. <laughs> and if they don't, you know, if they're not in it, you know, that's crap. Right. <laughs> So that leads me to believe it's a small leak, and it's probably someone that's making a profit off of it. Yeah. You know, gets gets X amount of profit for the information they provide. Wizards has come out and made an official statement saying that there is no, they do not leak any information. You know, they it's pretty much, they're, they're, they're washing their hands. It's like, we don't do anything, but we're going to find out what happened, and we're going to put a stop to it. Um, so, you know, they kind of absolve themselves of anyone pointing a finger at Wizards, you know, they with this official statement. Um, from what I've read from the, the Reddit user who leaked it, uh, there are a number of avenues where this may have leaked. Mm-hmm. Um, one particular, which I thought was pretty interesting, was translators in Japan have to translate the cards. So they get the set list beforehand. So, you know, they get the card list because they have to translate or certain, like, like maybe not all of them, but a couple of them at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, and they could sell that information to dealers in the States. Also, other, like, third markets where they might get information beforehand or some people even said it was like a, uh, you know, like you said, a wizard's employee who's just looking to make, you know, money. Because you could sell information. You don't have to make a profit off the card. Right. You can make a profit off this. Like, you know, I'm going to give you a tip for, like, 200 bucks. you know. It's just, it's just words to them, but mm-hmm. to everyone else, it's a living. Um, so you It's know, a lawsuit to wizards. <laughs> it's a lawsuit to wizards. Jesus. But, um, but there's no, nothing has been confirmed, nothing has been, you know, it, you know come, nothing has come to this yet. Yeah. If anything, this might all just blow over, but I don't think so. <laughs> no, but, I mean, uh, I, I, something will come of it. It'll just be interesting to see down the line. Yeah, for sure. Sort of what it is. Um... Moving forward, uh, we're going to talk a little bit now about building Commander decks. Because as I said on Episode 1, big fans of Commander. Uh, So kind of talking about Deckcraft 101 from Mm -hmm. our perspective. Um, Now, obviously Commanders, you have to pick a Legendary creature. Yes. I, I don't really think the choice of Commander matters too much. In certain cases... Like with Ural, the uh, the Mist Stalker, um, he is a commander who clearly you'd want to build a deck around. He has hexproof. Every time you attach an aura to him, he gets a bump. You Voltron him, and the idea of that deck is you swing with Ural and you win with commander damage. Yeah. So clearly that would be a deck where you'd it's want a, to build it it's around him. A pretty him. standard strategy. Right. But uh, then there's other commanders who are more utility commanders that you wouldn't necessarily build a deck around. I mean, just coming to mind instantly is most of the Planeswalker commanders that came out in that in last year's uh, commander sets. Yes. Most of them, 
you're not going to obviously win with commander damage. And no. there's nothing that they're doing that's so unbelievably amazing that you'd necessarily build an entire deck around them. That's just something that you're just like, hey, I want to use this color and I want to have access yeah. to this, a lot this of, one thing A lot of commanders really times. are just for, like, the color of what they are. Right. Like, you know, if you want to have a five-color commander deck, your options are a little limited. You know, Progenitus, Child of Alara, you know, they're good cards, but... That new white weenie from... Uh, uh, the new ally white weenie that came out in Oath of the Gate oh, Watch. Yeah, that's true. He's technically five colors. It's technically, <laughs> because he has five colors in his ability. <laughs> so, but uh, you know, the lot, you know, but some you just you're not gonna you're not gonna have a ton of synergy, but you can make you do with what you have and get a lot of cards that you want. And the synergy doesn't come so much from the commander, but the contents of the deck itself. Right. So regardless of how you choose your commander, the main thing that I always tell people is whether or not your commander is the focus of your deck or whether your commander you're just using for the colors, your deck should have some sort of focal point or two to three focal points that you stick to because it's very easy when you build a commander deck <laughs> to get distracted by the options that you have because Especially there are the, so many. If you have a lot of cards, you're like, this is my favorite card. Oh, I always wanted to play this card. You oh, know? I'm playing Grixis? I'm totally going to run Nickel Bolas. <laughs> freaking sweet. Such a cool card. <laughs> like, I, I just, I, I understand that distraction and it happens to everybody. You'll be deck building, you're looking through your cards or a collection or you're looking online and you see a card that fits your colors or, and you think to yourself, wow, this card is so good individually <laughs> individually but if you look at the theme of your deck if you think about running it it's probably not a good idea to just go with a card that's good individually if it doesn't fit some kind of focus um and to kind of go along with that you know i'm i've just started to build my colorless edh deck Ooh. yeah with eldrazi and fun stuff eldrazi like that. yeah with i made it uh the new kozlik the uh kozlik the uh, Devastator of Devastation, or whatever his name is. <laughs> I like it. Uh, thank you. That's my <laughs> off-the-cuff Kozlik, That's the, uh, as we say, the, the layman's Kozlik. That's um, the unglued Kozlik. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Kozlik the I Kill You. That's, that's what his name should be. Um, he's 10 cost, two, co two specific colorless mana. Kozlik the Great Distortion. That's it. I was close. Great Distortion, <laughs> Devastator of Devastation. That's right. It's all close. Eight of any combination of mana, two colorless to cast. Yes. He allows you to draw your hand back up to seven if you're not there already. He has menace, so he can't be blocked except by two or more creatures. And on top of that, you get to discard a card from your hand with converted mana cost X and then counter target spell with the same converted mana cost of X. So you play a card that costs three, I can ditch a card from my hand for three and counter it. Exactly. Which is a fantastic little, like, that's F you. Crazy ability. <laughs> it is in some ways. I mean, it depends on I mean, hand. Yeah, that's true. So looking at Kozlik, I kind of had to break down his abilities. Now, is he the focal point of my deck? Not necessarily. I feel like I, I want to win without him, or there are other ways I can win. But I would say definitely getting him out would be a plus. I mean, he's mm -hmm. an Eldrazi. He's a 12-12. He has Menace. It'd be easy to kind of win swing with him but he has such a high mana curve 10 mana to get him out so he's I, I thought to myself how can i make a deck focused so i broke it down first thing i needed was mana yeah so ivugan 
I uh, yeah, I have Ugin to reduce Eldrazi spells, obviously, but I can only have one. We're talking singletons. That's true. Eldrazi Temple obviously is in there to help mm-hmm. build up mana. Um, I took as many. I got, took Pilgrim's Eye, a little artifact that allows me to get a basic land for my deck. Thank you, Wastes. You do Soul Ring. Uh, Soul Ring is in there. <laughs> Thran Dynamo is in there, providing all that colorless mana. Um, I also have um, what is the uh, Urza's lands? I don't have any of the Urza's. I don't own them. Oh. If I did, I'd probably put them in there. That'd be pretty cool. Um, but I do have uh, that'd be really good. What the Urza? Yeah. The combo. Especially if you have all of them. Yeah, but I mean, to get them all out, that'd be whatever. But yeah. exploration map searches me for any land that I need, which mm-hmm. will help. Um, Solemn Simulacrum. I mean, Sad Robot is always a great way. Is Sensei's uh, colorless, or is it... Sensei's is colorless, but Sensei's won't really... It'll fix more than it'll fetch. I'm I'm talking about just mana ramp. Yeah. So I did as much mana ramp as I could. That was the first thing, with colorless, which is not easy. The second thing I looked at was uh, Kozlik's draw ability. And I also thought about it, and I was like, I'm going to want to draw cards. I'm going to want to make sure I have cards in hand. Because even after Kozlik's ability is gone... If I want to use his his counter spell ability, I'm gonna want cards in hand. Of course. So I put Howling Mine in. Howling. I I put um, you know, uh, Font of Mythos in. Mm-hmm. I put in a bunch of other draw Mind's Eye, so I can draw every time my opponent draws as long as I tap mana. I just want to have tons of cards. I want to have cards, and obviously then I oh I then catered to in, <laughs> I, I catered to infinite hand sizes with stuff like Reliquary Tower, mm-hmm. um, and then last <laughs> but not least, I had to decide. What kind of creatures I wanted to put in there. Now, colorless creatures are tricky. Most were artifacts, and I kind of had to go with, do I want to go for more of an artifact theme and just have Kozlik be the Eldrazi? Or, if I'm having Eldrazi, do I really want to go full Eldrazi on this? What did you do? I went Eldrazi. Ooh, I did. I don't have them all. Did you get enough? I did. I. But here's the thing. I'm testing it, and it, it runs... Not, slow is not the right word. Do the I just really need I think more creatures in the deck. Huh. Do the color color colorless cards from the set work? Like do those No. No. Since they have a color, even though they say devoid, they still count as that color oh, identity. That's unfortunate. Yeah, otherwise my deck would be full. But also how would I pay for any of the mana? That's... I can't actually put that mana into the deck. So I mean there are cards that would maybe make now you can actually that's another thing. Commander had a bunch of rules changes, which by the way when we're talking about you know, banning, or uh, not banning, uh, talking about Mulligan. building a commander deck. I don't know if you heard, uh, no. but certain things that they changed, first thing that they changed, if an effect would make you provide a color of mana that was not in your commander identity in the old days, they used to tell you that it just became colorless. Yeah. But they can't do that anymore <laughs> because colorless is now a thing. So instead, they changed it so if perchance, like for instance, someone plays Urborg, and all lands are now swamps in addition to whatever else they are, Uh any deck can now provide black. Wow. Like you could do that with if somebody else played Urborg, you with your deck, even if you're not playing a black deck, you can provide black mana. Which is an interesting change. It also, I think, makes blue a little bit more powerful as well. Yeah. It makes sense, um, though. I mean, in it, the long run. It does. It does. Um, they also banned Prophet of Cruffix. Which I thought was interesting. Prophet of Cruffix was the Seedborn Muse type card where um, it had uh, it came out and you could uh, cast creatures at I think flash speed. Oh my god! And you could you untapped all of your creatures and mana on your opponent's untap steps. Oh my god, that's horrible! It was great. It was <laughs> a beautiful card, um, and they banned it. They were just like, no, good. 
bad. <laughs> bad, bad, bad. And I, I was just, I, I had it in two decks, and it made me, it made me sad. Aww. Sad. But anyway. Billy. Yeah, sorry. I was, <laughs> I was, I was sad. I, I, a tear shed in, <sighs> in the form of Cruffix. I was going to say a tear shed in the form of a blue mana symbol. That's right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, building commander deck, the main thing is, and this is the first of a running series we will do on tips of building commander. Yeah. Tip main tip number one is have a focal point. Mm-hmm. Figure out what you want your deck to do and really try and narrow your focus down to that. Because if you don't, your deck's synergy will just be lost. Now, would you say a focal point, a good focal point, would be main like trying to come up with win conditions? Or would that be a little too specific? I feel like it can be, but I feel like in a good deck, you just know... You don't have to have specific win conditions. You should just know that what your deck is going to do and how it would possibly win. I guess so. Especially in a chaotic uh, kind of series as a EDH. Right. You know what I'm saying? Because there's so many things that can happen. Um, and especially with certain commanders, talking about Ural again, you know, you don't look at Ural and say, I have a specific win condition for Ural. You look at him and say, I'm going to just draw a bunch of aura cards, I'm going <laughs> to stack them on Ural, and I'm going to swing. And that's how I will essentially win. You know, <laughs> going to become unblockable at some point. Right. And, <laughs> and that's what I'm saying. Like, it's not necessarily like, I need this one specific card and this combo, and this is the way I win. Like, mm-hmm. that, I don't think that works in ETH. No. That's great for a 60-card, like, legacy deck, but this is singleton EDH. You cannot rely on, like one or two specific win cons you should definitely have a deck that is viable so now we're going to move on to D&D Durnder Durpin Durpin it's funny for us anyway the art of story crafting yes the the way you spin a tale for your adventures uh yeah so Jenks and I have been playing D&D together for a very long time, pretty much since we've known each other. And for the majority of that time, I have been the Dungeon Master, and Jengis has been a player. Um, So we both have different perspectives as to what makes good D&D plot, what Mm -hmm. makes a good D&D story. Um, How about you go first, from a player's perspective? So, from my player, uh, you know, most of the time, I really do... I've played uh, under a couple DMs in my time. So not just Dave, but a couple other people. Um, I more prefer the way Dave does a game. He has a set storyline in mind. So like he knows what the story beats he wants to accomplish are. And the players will find their way to them one way or another. Uh, it's not so much like, it's not railroading per se, because I wouldn't call it that, because I don't feel like I ever lose my free agency as a player. Um, like, I could do a number of things. It might close off a couple avenues of storytelling that Dave wanted to do, but I don't feel like they're, you know, I feel like we still accomplish the end goal. And the way Dave does it, it's very cinematic in a way. I feel like I'm like, if I think back upon the game, I remember it more like a movie. But I've played in other games where they've had a bit more of a, a sandboxy kind of, you know, you can do whatever you want. You want to go there? You want to go here? You want to fight that guy? Do whatever you want. It's, you know, it's up to you. And that one, uh, you know, for me as a player personally, I don't accept, I don't 
thrive in that environment. Um, you know, maybe it's because I'm not super great at improv, or maybe it's just because a lot of times I, I feel like I need some focus. I need something to like work towards, uh, rather than be like you're here, you're you meet these people, go ahead. You know, uh, and a lot. I mean, it might also be the players, but I think most of the time I prefer to be a part of a story than being just like like I said in a sandbox. So you know, from my player's perspective, that's you know story to me basic very basic you know right and uh i have to say you know it's funny it's interesting hearing you say all that because like i definitely i mean you're right i have i always have a story that i'm trying to craft and i try to double layer my story long time ago i tried to just make up my modules on my own like without any guidance and i found that to be hard that was, it was a lot of prep. Put a lot of weight on yourself. It was just, it was so much. And so what I started to do instead was just take pre-made stuff, whether it be pre-made campaigns or individual mods that had come out through Wizards of the Coast or even through third party. Mm-hmm. And then... played Pathfinder through Paizo. And right. That. And then just kind of craft my overarching story around it. So... The footwork of most of what I needed had been done in terms of like, where's the next dungeon or what's the next objective? Like, and then I just sort of crafted around that, which makes it easier for me as a DM to incorporate things. Like, I love backstories. I love when players give me backstories, but I also don't want to give too much like of their plot to them all in one game. A big thing I see DMs do is, you know, you give them backstory and then every game is like overloaded with every player has like a, a stake in something every game and a new like, piece of information. Did you mention a, a wife or child or friend in your backstory? <laughs> Guess what? They're in danger. All of them at once. <laughs> they're chained to that wall and there's a demon. Go get them. I'm like, oh, but they're disappeared and like, I just don't like, you know, I'm, I try to like... The MacGuffin becomes more so in the player's backstory and they could be kind of overwhelming right and maybe it feels like you know if you have a lot of players you can't really you know you lose a lot of focus that way exactly and how do you make everybody care about one dude's problems it's like that's great his wife's up there but my wife is also chained to a wall somewhere thanks to you you douchebag <laughs> like let's go there so um what i do is i try and disseminate small bits of everybody's plot slowly at a time it just sort of comes out naturally through the game and builds towards something um but i wouldn't you know though I, though i do do that though, though i have a structured plot in some regards i do have i'd like to think a freedom to my game like you said if you if the party wanted to there's nothing's like let's say the perspective that i set is there is a princess in a castle held by perhaps a large reptilian creature named Bowser. No. <laughs> but, but, no, in all honesty, like, if there's a princess in trouble and that's, you know, the, the lame objective or whatever, there's nothing stopping the adventurers in my game from throwing down their arms, saying, you know, fuck the princess, we're going to go and drink at the bar. Mm-hmm. We're going to go become pirates on the high seas. <laughs> I would figure out a way to cater to my players. I would figure out a way to craft a story or even take the story I had and alter it 
Just do what I needed to do to make the game that the players want to play. So instead of pirates on the high seas, maybe land pirates? Oh, <laughs> they're like land sharks, right? No. No? Not like land sharks? No, you have a boat attached to a cart and you pillage the next city and after that on your land boat. Okay, well that's like a land shark. It's a shark that's on land instead of in water. It walks. Oh. Yeah. I never even thought of it like that. Crazy, right? Or like a man shark? Like, no, it's very specifically a land shark. That's <laughs> from an old, old joke that perhaps I'll tell at a later point. <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> so, the, I can't stop thinking about fucking land sharks. Uh, the, the idea, though, that I have is that I want to give a story that the players want to play. And most of the time, I find that... Though sandboxing, a lot of people are like, I love having the freedom. Like, people want to have some sort of a story. And they tend, like, you say there's a princess that needs to be saved. Most people will go and save it. Or save her. There's usually a structure that people want to follow because they're interested. It's like reading a book or watching a movie or watching a TV show. They want, the players want to see that, that like story said, unfold. want to be a part of that story. Right. And see it, you know, through its... But I mean... There are players, I've seen them, players who like to, in a way, make their own story. Right. Like, they they leave the DM to be the, the essentially, the hands that move the machine, but they are the ones who are like, this is my story, I'm the one shaping this story, and the DM just assists in making that occur. Right. Um, and, you know, that's perfectly fine. It's not for me. Because I just I I prefer to have a little bit more guidance, but you know there are people that exist. So it's not to say it's a bad way to do it. It's just you know it's not the way you know we play. Right. <laughs> and I uh, one of the things that I find really fascinating about this whole process of crafting stories and having players kind of jump into these these unusual plot twists that I give. And what I love all the time is um, sometimes as a writer or as a storyteller, I feel you get credit for things that you had no control over and that they think you did. <laughs> and then you play it off like, yes, this was in fact my master plan all along. <laughs> like I can't tell you how many times over the years things just sort of fit together in a way that I wasn't planning at all in, in the game. And... And everybody looks at me and they're like, oh, wait, you mean that this was this all along? Like, I think the masterful storyteller. Yeah, I think probably I think probably the best example of this is and it's something that you can enjoy about this. We had a game a couple years ago back when I I was in college and at this game, one of the returning villains at one point in it was a, a, a dude called Brath the Lesser. And. The only reason this guy came back, I, I'm I, I I kid you not, is because there was a day we were playing the game, where something happened and one of my players made a connection and was like, oh, "It's Breath the Lesser, isn't it?" And in my brain, I thought that would be really good, wouldn't it? And, and then I just sort of played it off like that was my plan all along. And I can't tell you how many times I've done stuff where it's just like. Someone mentions like, wait, are you telling me that this is the same magic item that we had found five years ago oh and God. that it's 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 still around and it's been controlling this town the entire time? And I'm like, in my brain, I'm like, wow, why didn't I think of that? But on the outside, I'm like, you yep, got me. you got me. Here it is. 
my master plan. Nice. <laughs> like it happens so much, and but it gives me great pleasure that when that happens, it really does because I'm I'm glad that like the story can fit together like that. That means the story is natural. It's not like it's it's not puzzle pieces that fit together. It's more like sand. Well, not I don't want to say sand, but it's like water. It kind of flows and it doesn't. It's not you know. It's not so outlandish to think that one thing can be connected to each other another because then the story is so like it's not so rigid right but i just i can't help but think about all about all writers you know because i i, I it brings me back to thinking about like you know middle school and high school you're in your desk and the teacher is at the front of the room mm-hmm. and the teacher tells you what are the you know themes of the book we just read in class and what do you think the author meant by this oh let's interpret this and i can only think to myself every time and not since dnd i've always kind of had this in the back of my mind but i'm just thinking i don't think the writer meant any of this <laughs> i think they just had a story and they were like yeah this sounds good and we overanalyze like the shit out of this it's very possible and like if you were to tell the writer like ah oh, yes when you mentioned the moon, were you in fact meaning your long lost love that you had in real life that was never attainable because she was so far away? And the writer, like once again, is doing me as a DM in his brain. is just like, no, but damn, that's really good. And then on the outside, just like, yeah, you read my book really well. Good job. Like, you really you, read into my you, insights. You understand, you understand me on a level that no. most don't. And on his mind, he's like... <laughs> Including myself. <laughs> like, fuck. Like, I just, I really do feel like that is, that is story crafting. That's, yeah. That's like part of the uh, human mind's natural tendency to want to make patterns out of things and like find the, the links. I right. Mean, that's just how we think. But yeah, I love it. <laughs> yeah, but overall as a DM, I mean, you know, I have to say when it comes to story crafting, I just love watching my players enjoy a story. I I also am very much a fan of like, you know, I would be, I like to feel that I would be the M. Night Shyamalan of the D&D world. Mm -hmm. I love the twist. (laughs) I love, you know, like. He definitely loves a twist. I love the twist. (laughs) I love that moment where everybody just stops and they're just like, whoa, what? Like I actually, I set one up. We just had a game a couple weeks ago. And spoiler alert for anybody in the game that may end up listening to this podcast, I set one up really hardcore in front of everybody's noses. Like I just I just put this little piece of information out there and I watched as they all absorbed it just so plainly, just so like at the base level and I'm just waiting for the payoff. And that is probably a problem I have as a DM that I get so excited for my own damn plot that sometimes <laughs> I just can't wait to reveal it and I just like blow my load prematurely oh, I'm, Jesus. I'm just like uh, like I'll set something up and then five minutes later I'm like fuck it here we go here it is ah, gotcha like <laughs> you know I just what a twist oh my god you weren't seeing that coming for those five minutes were you <laughs> Like, I, it's really hard for me because I want to share it because, like I said, my enjoyment comes from watching players enjoy the story, but the twists, seeing everyone's reaction in the moment, feeling everyone just like that look of shock or mm-hmm. that look of intrigue on their face, like that is really what does it for me. That's actually probably <laughs> why I enjoy DMing. 
but story crafting is is that is story crafting I'm sure will be an ongoing segment. <laughs> uh but moving forward while on the topics of stories, uh there was I'm a big Ari Salvatore fan, specifically the Dritz series. A I know like I'm Ari sure there was Salvatore like a fan. Yeah. I know there was probably a groan across our listener verse <laughs> of like, oh geez, not that damned row again. Like I but I he loves it. I really do. I really do enjoy his writing. There have been times where it's been a little monotonous, other times where, you know, I feel like I've already read the story that he's telling. But he's written a lot of books. I mean, I have them all on a bookshelf that we're actually both staring at right now. Or And it's just like there's so many titles that he's written. And so, of course, like there's sometimes so it may. Yeah. And I'm, hopefully more to come forever. I mean, if, if Bob Salvatore, I don't think he'd ever listen to this. But if you ever did listen to this podcast, dude, keep doing what you're doing because I will keep reading. I will keep buying. But his most recent grouping of books since the return of Old Magic, a.k.a. Yes. the 5th edition reinvent of the crappy 4th edition abomination. You know? <laughs> Ever since 5th edition, the stories that he has been pumping out have just been fantastic. Um, now, from this point until the end of this sto- uh, story segment of Dritzt, I should warn our listeners that if you are just fan, we will be giving massive spoilers up to the current point in the books that he has written, uh, the current book being Archmage, was the most recent. So please just skip forward until yeah. some point or another. I guess until um, we start talking about something else. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, spoiler alert once again. Cannot stress that enough. So, he brings back, in a couple books ago, he brought back all the original Dritzt crew. He reincarnates... The Companions. The Companions. He reincarnates Bruno of Battlehammer. Regis... Um, Cadibri, uh, Wolfgar, Wolfgar <laughs> you know, all the original companions are back and in like prime fighting shape. They're all in like their like 20s, so they're all like ready to it's go. Like a Marvel reboot, it was, all yeah, over. it's like total DC Marvel like shenanigans going on. Uh, can't ever kill a character, they always get to come back somehow. Well, I mean, uh, for a long time, we thought they were dead, they right? were, I mean, <laughs> they really were, but it, it was great that. It's great to see them all back together again, so lively. Um, in the most recent book, Archmage, though, what is currently happening, or what has happened, is uh, the Kingdom of Many Arrows has become a problem. In 4th edition, orcs were no longer considered a monster race. They were considered a people. So to reflect that, in R.A. Salvatore, in his books, helped make this Kingdom of Many Arrows uh, kind of on the border of the Icewind Dale section Towards the, the north coast. of the Faerun. Yeah, towards the north of the, of the continent. And the kingdom was ruled by, like, this one orc. Obold many arrows. Now, in Archmage, this kingdom has fallen to bits. There's all this discord going on, mostly seeded through the drow of Menzo Baranzan. And... That's how it's pronounced? That's how... Our, yeah, I've watched... Bob in a Bob Salvatore in a YouTube video and it's Menzo Baranzan. Wow, yeah. we've been saying it wrong the entire time. I know we used to say <laughs> Menzo Baranzan because it just I just flowed I think better than Menzo Baranzan, but that is in fact the the actual translation or I guess pronunciation. <laughs> I I um, yeah. So the Drow Menzo Baranzan are like facilitating all I of can't these get things. Used to that. I know. <laughs> and long story short, 
the dwarves decide they're going to take back Gauntlegrim. They just, they just dissolve. They band together. All the dwarves and all the citadels band together. They're in another war with the orcs. I thought they did already. No, they didn't take back Gauntlegrim. Gauntlegrim has been captured by the drow. And so what ends up happening is they dissolve the Kingdom of Many Arrows. The dwarves of all the citadels band together. Mithril Hall, Citadel Adbar, Citadel Felbar. Um, all the mirror bar dwarves so they like dry bar yeah <laughs> bar 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 all the bar dwarves because you know where else would a dwarf be but at the bar am I right <laughs> uh, they band together dissolve the kingdom of many arrows go after Galtalgrim the ancient home of the Delzun dwarves and things just kind of go wrong from there oh Jesus like it, they they kill they kill King Emrys they kill like a bunch of other people and long story short Brunner becomes like the current king of Gondolgrim through succession of his peers who also <laughs> everyone else down. is dead that's pretty much it like everyone <laughs> else died but the big shocker of the book is while all this was going on with the dwarves and Dritzt and his friends and Dritzt is obviously helping Brunner gain Gondolgrim back in Menzel Berenzon there's been a vie for power between the houses as there always is as per the that's drought politics that's just how it goes but all the while, um, the reason the book was called Archmage is because Archmage Gromf, Gromf Bonre, was very, very pissed because um, Lolf, the Spider Queen, the God, the Spider God, she was going to she she had a a stake in trying to capture the Weave. Her goal was to to wrest the weave away from Mistra and be in control of all magic. Wow. Take the portfolio of magic? That's it, pretty crazy. It very much was. And Grom thought that as Archmage, one of the few, one of the other, I should say not one of the few, but probably the only real position of power for a male in Drow society. Because Drow society is mainly a... a matriarchy. Matriarchy. Yeah. Um a dominatrix matriarchy, really. Mm. Uh, but, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, he figured he could then finally be recognized as an equal with the priestesses. <laughs> if magic fell under Lolf's domain, that she would elevate his level. As that was happening, though, he had found out that Lolf's plan was just then to allow the priestesses to take control of regular arcane magics, as essentially well as... just getting rid of Gromf in the process and making him just be once again a lesser male. So, <laughs> so it's actually Gromf that stopped what uh, this thing called the Darkening that was going to take control of the Weave. Mm-hmm. Gromf inhabits through psionics, thanks to... Psionics? I'll get to that in a second. Through psionics, takes control of Dritzt's body right before the Archmage book began and dissolves the darkening through it. And everybody thinks Myleki, Dritzt's goddess, has given him like this gift of magic to destroy the darkening. And meanwhile, it was just Gromph just messing with everything because he decided it was better for Lolf not to have control of the weave at all than to allow the weave to fall under her control and to once again be lesser to more even more females in Menzo Baron's oh So <laughs> Shenanigans. <laughs> in his burning sensation to somehow gain more power and to prove himself and his like kind of spite against Lolf at this point. Yeah. He turns to uh Kimuriel, who is the co leader with Jarlaxel of the group Bregendurth. The Bregendurth. And Wait, Bregendurth? Bregendurth. Oh my god. And <laughs> 
Um, Kimorial has told... I mean, we could be butchering some of these names. I don't really don't care. Mm. But Kimuriel has has been told by who he thinks is his mother, who has been in the like the pits of the abyss, has been or possibly even in hell. Mm. Um, a way to destroy Gromf because he has this vendetta against the Bonray House because they dis- dissolved his house to tell Gromf that there's a way to mix magic with psionics. Okay. I mean, so Gromf. I mean, for what we talked about last week, right? Sometimes it's possible. So <laughs> Gromf thinks he is figuring out a way to like open the spell that's going to happen. Meanwhile, this whole thing has been orchestrated by Lolf. It's all just more of course, chaos. chaos. And without describing too much more of the book, if you've been able to follow along, it ends with Gromf performing this half psionic, half arcane spell that comes together. And opens up a straight-up portal for Demogorgon to come out of. Demogorgon is the prince of the demons of the abyss. Mm, He's known abyss. as the abyss. My yes. bad. Sorry. They are different. Yes. Hell and the abyss are different places. They are. <laughs> opens up a portal and Demogorgon comes popping out of it. Almost causes... Archmage Gromf to go just batshit crazy right then and there. Like, mm-hmm. lose, like, all, all of his marbles just from the sight of Demogorgon. Demogorgon begins to wreck, rain terror upon Menzo Baranzon. Oh, my God. Gromf just instantly teleports away. Where? Straight in the middle of Gauntlegrim. And he's just like, hey, Dritzed and friends, I need some help. <laughs> I unleashed. And uh, some, and, some stuff went down. And Dritzed is like, what the and then Jarlaxle pops up and is like I can vouch he needs help, help. let's bro out uh, <laughs> so it's this moment of this uneasy sort of truce like what Because and somehow it's all connected to Gauntlegrim and it's just really? yeah it's it's all nuts so the next book coming out has been has been labeled Maestro and I didn't really know what it was going to like speaking more in terms of wealth kind of controlling everything in the that's background that's what I thought or, or I was trying to make predictions, but very aptly, the cover art of Maestro was released of a picture of Jarlaxle. Oh, Jesus. And I was just like, <laughs> okay, yeah, I get it. Maestro. <laughs> I mean, that would like, kind of make sense why be, he showed up. He is the person that plays all the others. You know, he always has an endgame that no one knows but him. You know, it's just like he... Silly, silly Jarlaxle. It was just and great. Fluffy hat. His pimp hat with the fucking feather. <laughs> yeah. Walks down the street as a lady. Wow. But a prince of the abyss, a lord of the abyss, to be on the mortal plane. It's what set up that out of the abyss module. Oh. That was oh, yeah. pumped out. Demo Gorgon was on the, on the, the cover. cover. And oh. that's why Dritz was in it. Like, this novel is what sort of set the groundwork for that adventure. Interesting. Um, and for all of the, obviously connected adventures through the video game verse and the mm-hmm. story like you know it all kind of connects right now with what wizards has been wizards doing doing a lot of a uh, cross plat uh was there's a word for it but i can't think of it now. cross media yes uh or medium yes there's, the there's a better word for it but regardless so that's what's going on with dritzt right now cool yeah i might have to reread the read back get back into those books i have so many books to read i know Ugh. so moving on uh 
our game reviews of this episode. Uh, So if you you don't remember from last time, uh, we usually pick two games, uh, a newer game and an older game, and we give a review of both of them. Uh, We don't give like a numerical score, but really just like a general like how we feel, maybe like thumbs up, thumbs down. Um, So I I believe this week (laughs) the new game is going to be Ghost. Uh, No, 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 no. It's... Ghost. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Ghost. Yeah, that's Um, right. You gotta get all the extra O's in there. So, Ghost is, um, what the, I think the proper term for it is a a hand-building game. I wouldn't call it, per se, a trick-taking game. If you mix Rummy with Uno... You pretty much have a good understanding of Ghost. The, the way you play your hand is similar to Uno in fashion. Where you throw down cards with certain requirements. Certain cards do certain things to the table like the turn order or you know random stuff to the pile. Um, you have to pick up and put down similar to Uno. Like if you can't do something you have to pick up cards. And if you can do something you put, you know, you put down cards and there's multiples and this and that. But it's also more like rummy in the sense that you are, or even gin rummy for that matter, depending how you're looking at it. But you are building a hand that is going to win you the game. You have to kind of see what's on the board, determine what other people are playing as well, and sort of build your hand around a strategy that will then win you the game later. So there are three parts of the game that uh, matter to the board. Um, So you have your hand, which is always four cards. Uh, and you have your man. Uh, you have a, a stack of cards, uh, a deck of cards, really called your mansion. Uh, that's that changes depending on how many players there are. And this game is a two to six player game. Yeah, so a nice round, a, a good number. Uh, it's usually they stop at four, but six is good. Uh, it's good that it caters to those larger groups. Uh, and anyways, going back, the third part of the game is the deck itself, um, which contains all the rest of the cards. Uh, which may be bigger or smaller, depending on how many players you have. Um, so the way the game works is, in the beginning, you play a card, and, uh, or you play one off the deck, and then when you draw back up to four, if you played you know more than one, or if you just played one, then it goes to the next person. Uh, and then they can play, or they can pick... Uh, so after the first person plays... You now have the option to pick up cards that were played. Um, you add them to your hand. You would do that to get more, like, say you want to get more doubles, which we'll go into later, or say you want to get, like, specific special cards. Um, and then you would keep going until there are no cards left in the deck, and then it moves to after midnight, mm-hmm. correct? Um, and then the rules change there. <laughs> um, what's interesting about the game... That, that I, I find a lot of fun is the more people you have, the strategy becomes slightly different in the game. With two people, it's really just you win or you lose. But with multiple people, there's a scorekeeping aspect to it. And what's really fascinating is how you keep score. Oh, so, so should we go back, the object of the game is to empty your hand in your mansion. So That's, you want to have no cards. Yeah, you want to have no cards. Similar to Uno. Similar to Uno. And similar to Rummy, 
Because I've in, never played Rummy. So yeah, really in Rummy, you have to when your hand is gone, you're 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 done. I think if I remember correctly, it's been a while since I played Rummy as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but long story short, you want to get rid of your hand. That's the idea. You want to have no cards left. And then, yeah, I think that's more similar to Uno than anything else. But the idea behind it is uh, the scorekeeping aspect. Like, for instance, if you have four people, which is a great number to play the game with, uh, the first person who gets rid of all of their cards in the game gets two points. One point is awarded to you just for leaving the game. Like, in other words, you emptied your hand. Another extra point is awarded to you for leaving the game first. But then there's a third extra point you can get for being the last one to leave that ends the game. So in this case, in a four-player game, it would be the third place. Because third place would get uh, a point for leaving the game and then gets two points for being the last one out, essentially. Uh, So the best position to really be in is third place, Mm -hmm. which makes the game harder if you're looking to win if you're looking to not lose empty your hand and get out but if you're looking to really be the winner and you want to have the most points you then have to sort of strategize not only how you're going to get out but how you can stall (laughs) and like dick your opponents over as much as possible to figure out a way to keep yourself in the game while getting them like the forcing them to go out mm-hmm. and then having an opportunity to get yourself out of a bad situation before it reverses on you and your opponent ends up getting that point. It should also bear mentioning that the last person to get out or the person who does not get out essentially gets a boo token. And if you get two boo tokens, the game is over? The whole game is over, correct. So that's why the the third place, you know, the play, you know, the points can change but you know that's why sometimes you may not want to wait out for that third place, especially if the points won't matter in the end anyway. And what's nice about the boo tokens is that it puts a hard cap on possible number of games you can play because there's a lot of point games out there. Uh, another game that we haven't reviewed yet, but I guarantee you we will in the future, is a game called Gang of Four, which has a point limit. But depending on how good your players are and what the hands are like. To get to that point limit can take a very long time or a very short time, depending. With Ghost, it's kind of very much structured with these boo tokens, and you you kind of really know when the game is going to end. Because even in a four-player game, to get someone to have two boo tokens, you know the most games that you're going to play is five. Everybody getting one boo token, and then whoever gets that last boo token, Mm -hmm. game is over. So there's a very hard cap to it. Um, but it's great. It's great. And one thing I sort of notice about like board games, and this isn't all board games, but a majority of them that we play, I'm always just like, what is the strategy of this game? How, how what makes this game fun? And most of the time it boils down to just being a dick to your opponents. <laughs> and I can't decide if that's just how these games are played or if I'm just straight up a dick to people. I just don't I mean, know which one it is, man. Like, I don't know. I'm like, <laughs> I remember, you know, we talked about Monopoly last time and I'm, you know, doing business with the board game yeah. and I talked about how, like, you know, my strategy is cutthroat. But, like, I just think of Ghost too, and I'm just like, what's my strategy in that game? Oh, yeah, be a dick. Just dick other people <laughs> over and win. Yeah, it's just like, you know, I'm like, 
I'm like, there's a clear defined pattern here. Either I like games where you were just a straight up douche to win, I am just a straight up douche, or it's a combination of both. I'm I mean, not really sure. It's really just how you have fun. I, I guess. That, that's I, maybe I just like misery, and maybe that's why I'm a DM. Because <laughs> I, I, just, I just like to put people in bad situations oh. and then laugh and at their misery as they just stew in their own sorrow. <laughs> Shot for it indeed, but uh, so Ghost is a, a fantastic game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I should also mention, since pertinent to what we do on this podcast, uh, Ghost is or was created by Doctor Richard Garfield, who, That's right. if you don't know, is the same inventor of the game Magic: The Gathering. So it definitely has his style of flair, which is also a game where I feel like you need to be a dick to people. <laughs> <laughs> So maybe that's his style too. I, Who know, knows? Speaking to his other game, which we may review, uh, King of Tokyo, uh, that's also a game where you want to be a dick to people. I'm sensing a pattern here. I am. I am. <laughs> We're also like games that we like. I mean, I, I, I think Ghost was just such a good buy. And it's self-contained. It's a very, very small playing Not space. Not a lot of parts, really. Just right. a deck of cards. I, I you know, support your local game shops, your hobby shops. I'd go pick it up if you can. Also, speaking of hobby shops and game shops while I'm on it, I should just mention that in case you didn't know this, you know, a lot of these hard workers that work at these retail shops that you have in towns, um, they're willing to go out of their way for you for your business. They want you to to be loyal. They want you to be a customer. So even if you go to your local game shop and you see that they don't have Ghost, you can probably ask yeah. them and they would order it for you. Yeah, it's not that hard. It's, they, they have distributors to right. go to. And at the end of the day, they want your business. So never be afraid if you hear a game that we talk about and you've never seen it in a store somewhere, even at your own hobby shop. By all means, go there. Ask them. Have a conversation with them. They're usually really great people, and they, they probably will cater to your interests. Because like I said, at the end of the day, they're a business. They want to make money. And mm-hmm. if you're saying, I'm going to give you money for something, they will find a way to take your money. Like That's not <laughs> exactly. a, a big deal for them. They're like, yeah, I will... I'll, 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 I'll rip you off if I can. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're usually pretty fair. But um, anyway. So going back to ghosts... Ghost. Ghost. Um, I guess we were, we're both pretty big fans of it, and I think we would both give it a good solid thumbs up, two thumbs up, totally. Yeah, so definitely a must, a, a must have. Yeah, I we say. we've gotten a lot of mileage at it in the small amount of time I've had the game. I mean, I, I I knew immediately once I opened the box and started playing that it was fun, it was good, and now anytime we sort of hang out and we have a group of six or less inevitably i'm just like what do you guys want to play and we look around the room we're like let's just play ghost because not only is it incredibly uh, fun but as jengis mentioned the parts it's 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 so small it's just a deck of cards and like a little game board and these little boo tokens and that's it and so it makes it very easy to set up very easy to clean up very easy to play Mm -hmm. um which can't be said for a lot of games that we play. Like the next game we're going to review. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so our retro game of this episode is Scrabble, <laughs> a.k.a. Words with Friends. Words with Friends. <laughs> Man, did that annoy the shit out of you? It kind of annoyed me. It, you know what? It's good. It's good marketing. It just it rolls off the tongue Dude, pretty well. Oh, it's like I remember when it when words of when words with friends dropped like three or four years ago. I think was when it came out. I, think so. I, I was still working in New York at the time, and I just remember 
looking at it and like everybody was just like oh my god have you ever played this game words with friends and i'm like <laughs> yeah i have but then we called it Scrabble. <laughs> I don't know why you keep saying, like, this is just Scrabble. And the worst part about it was, I'm pretty sure Scrabble at the time tried to compete by putting Scrabble out on the App Store. But it just didn't but it work. did not work at all. And everybody was just like, who wants to play Scrabble when I can play Words with Friends? And I'm like, it's the, it's the same game. Like, <laughs> you're playing a game that exists. This is like... And I and I think eventually some merger happened or so. I don't know. I don't know the whole story. Lawsuit. Of it, but, <laughs> yeah. uh, but I just all I know is that it just annoys the crap out of me when I watch people, especially of a younger generation, play words with friends and perhaps don't even know that Scrabble exists. They think I mean, like this is like like the person who invented this game is a genius. I'm like, yeah, Scrabble is a great game. Like, <laughs> I, I just. I, I don't know, but I think it's... uh going to sound old, David. <laughs> yeah, but uh, on the off chance, you are living under a rock, and you have not played Scrabble, nor have you played Words with Friends. Uh, it's a game where you get a bunch of tiles of letters. There is a game board, and the game board has uh, open sections. You start in the middle. You work your way out as best as you can. Mm -hmm. Along the board, there are certain point modifiers because each letter, each tile has a point value associated to them. The more more common the letter or the more um, easy the letter, I should say. It's kind of hard to determine easy, but we're talking letters that are used often in our dictionary, in our alphabet. or like... uh, RST. If you ever watch Wheel of Fortune, all those letters they say at the end... When they're like, we've already put up RST, you know, what is it? Element. Like, I haven't watched Real Fortune forever. It's just fucking. But the point is, is those letters, that's what I mean with common letters. And of course, vowels are also common because, you know, they're needed for everything. Um, Whereas you have the more uncommon letters, Z, Q, Q, they're like the 10 pointers that net you more points if you can figure out a way to use them. The game is played simply X. Uh, starts in the middle. First person to go lays down a word with whatever they can make from the tiles that they have. You have about seven tiles in your hand, in your your Roughly. tile hand. Um, you put out the tiles into a word. Any any number of letters except for single you can use. You can use double letter words or more as long as they actually exist. You then have in Scrabble, actual Scrabble. Um, after someone lays down a word. The group has the right to challenge if they think it's not a word. If it's not a word, it can't be to used. break out the Scrabble dictionary. That's right. <laughs> um, whereas Words with Friends just does it automatically. It just shuts you down and it's like, this is not a word. But we're going to get back to what Words with Friends thinks is words momentarily. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. I can tell you have a little animosity towards I that. I may have a little animosity <laughs> towards what, what we're like. There are, all right. Anyway. Uh, so you lay down your tiles you pick up more tiles back to your maximum hand size of, of seven. And you go along the board. There's uh, outside of the regular letter tiles, there's also blank tiles, which mm-hmm. count as wilds. They have no point value, but obviously make it easier for you to build off of. And you must build off of tiles that are already on the board. And you then add up your points per the word or words that you have created based on your tiles. And the game is over when you either can't. there are no more tiles left to use or everybody in the game does not have any tiles that can be used. And by proxy, there's no tiles left. Because you, on your turn, you also have the option, instead of playing a word, to throw tiles back into the mix and grab some new tiles if you still can't make anything with what you have. So the game is really over when no one can do anything. Um, 
You then add up the points that you've been totaling the entire game. Whoever has the most then wins. And that's it. Yeah. That's really it. Um, is there like a longest word bonus or anything like that? There is a bonus if you use your entire... If you use all seven tiles that you have, mm-hmm. you get some ridiculous bonus for it. But outside of that, not really. It doesn't think. happen that often. It, I, I mean, the easiest time you would think for it to happen would be the first turn of the game. Mm-hmm. Because there's nothing to play off of on the board. You are setting the board out so you can just play whatever you've got. Yeah. The game gets progressively harder because space is limited and you have to, like I said, any tile that touches a tile on the board has to be making a word, no matter what direction it's going. And the game is not played in diagonals, it's only played in verticals and horizontals. So that is pretty much Scrabble in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. Now, Words with Friends took the concept, made it digital into an app. You can play with people on a contact list. It was like turn-based, so you submit a word and they submit a word. Which, I mean, is how Scrabble is, too. It's just this takes longer because of internet and cell phone. But the biggest thing that bothers me about Words with Friends outside of the... What's that, David? I don't know. What could it be? Could it be the words... Could it be the words that we have with friends? Because like some like, but I mean like some things are clearly not. I just I could be wrong. I know that eventually, common vernacular, if used enough, does get into a dictionary. For instance, I remember having a conniption a year or two ago when they announced that twerk was going into the Oxford (laughs) Dictionary, and I just remember thinking to to myself like, you cannot like this can't be real. But twerk was used so much. That it required an actual definition. So I understand that there are some words that actually make it in. But sometimes you can just put down the most ridiculous like word. Something you would never think would be like a word. Are you telling me I can't put down cray as a word? You might be able to. <laughs> and that's the problem that I have with words with friends. Is like, like I could put in selfie. Selfie's a word, Dave. Selfie is not a word. <laughs> selfie is not a fucking word, man. <laughs> And I just, like, you know, selfie or uh, what else? In the Gangsta is a word. Gangsta, apparently. <laughs> like, just things that you just know on the inside. You're just like, someone out there is hurting. LOL. Lols. <laughs> yeah. And that's another thing. Words with Friends is totally cool with acronyms and pronouns. Pronouns? Proper nouns. Proper nouns. Proper nouns is the Excuse me. Uh, proper nouns and acronyms is something that Words with Friends apparently has no problem with. Whereas Scrabble was like, no, no. Yeah. Can't do acronyms, cannot do proper nouns. Um, it just bothers me. It's like a dumb, dumb version of the game. <laughs> dumb, dumb version. <laughs> Which, by the way, betchy is a word in Words with Friends. Dumb, dumb. They'd be like, ah, yes, of course. The dumb, dumb. Dumb, dumb, dumb. But, uh, you know, I mean, that's how they reach a larger audience. Yeah, but I mean, the other thing about Scrabble is I think it also takes a little bit of like... There's some ingenuity in there, and it's also like it comes from your intellect because it's straight out cheating to have a dictionary or anything in front of you when you play Scrabble. You're playing words with friends. I mean, half the time people just go to like ScrabbleCheats.com, insert their letters, and they're just like, oh, hey, the word I'm going to pick is Nürgenheimen. And it's like, (laughs) it's a word. It's a word, apparently. And they're like, it's a place. in Nerville. <laughs> and, and I love when someone plays something like that. And especially when I know the person like well enough to be like, you have no idea what this word means. If, <laughs> I, were, if I were to call you up right now and ask you, what does Nürgenheimen mean? You'd be like, uh... 
You're hot. It's click. a large, bald, angry ape. It's my fist in your face for calling me at 3 a.m. to talk about it. That's what a Jürgenheim is. Go Jürgenheim yourself. <laughs> oh, you man. take your Jürgenheim and shine up real good. Turn it sideways? And stick it up your Jürgenheim. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, like, it's just, it's so bad. I just, I, I don't know. I miss, I miss the old days of Scrabble. At the same time, as you said, it is more accessible. It is, in exactly. fact, you know, and it, it you can you, play. You'll get to a million players by having, being a word Nazi. Right, but it just, <laughs> I think it just bothers me that, like, it bothers me when people, like, they reinvent the wheel. Yeah, I guess so. They reinvent the wheel, which is something that people always say you can't do. Like you can't reinvent the wheel. <laughs> We've shown you history. I feel like that is that is that is the entire video game app market in a nutshell. It's like we're just gonna repackage this one thing that you've seen a thousand times, make it spiffy and zappy, put it out there with a with a with a hip title, mm. and you're just gonna eat it up. Yeah. And that is words with so friends and good. it's prime. <laughs> and you know, they're just like rubbing that money all over themselves. They're just like, oh, yes, here's a word for Making you. Making large companies that eventually get bought out by EA. Yeah. <laughs> but like, you know what I mean? Like, I just really, I'm tired of, I'm tired of the repackage. And I just, words with friends is just like the worst offender of it. So you would say, uh, Scrabble, thumbs up. Words with friends. Thumbs down. You know, I hate myself for it, but I I would still give words with friends a thumb. I like I give words with friends a thumbs up. I okay. would. I hate myself for it, but I would. Why? Because it's Scrabble. <laughs> and I like Scrabble. Oh. I do. I also like Bananagrams, which is like Scrabble on crack. <laughs> so go out there, dust off your app store, download Words with Friends. <laughs> if it's still out there. Take out your old <laughs> app store, set it up, play some Words <laughs> with Friends. Free, which has ads, and you you have to pay for no ads. Yeah, you have to pay for, or you could buy Scrabble, and, and then you have, have no ads. Scrabble, like, oh man, like I just, I, I can't, I just can't. It's, it's messed up. What about you? Scrabble, thumbs up, thumbs down, yeah, thumbs up. I have Words with friends. Is there a difference? Do you have other no? Opinion? There's really no difference to no, me. No, you're just gonna eat it up. Yeah, you're just gonna. I'm eat- one of those guys that just like. Mm. So nice. <laughs> oh, that's 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 horrible. That hurts my soul. I'm sorry. It's all right. <laughs> it's all right. Well, now that I've died a little on the inside and we've we've admitted this, uh, thank you for listening. Thank you very much to this episode of You Shall Not Pass Go. Have a nice time. Yeah, go play some fucking scrap. <laughs> oh Jesus. <laughs> oh, that's just great.